More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. The Path to a Harmonious Family Business According to Chris Yonker, the overall health of an organization, family businesses notwithstanding, depends on self-assurance and productive interaction in the workplace. Embarking on the journey to uncover these behaviors in ourselves and those around us is a step towards achieving harmony. Self-confidence is a product of self-honesty or living by one's personal truth. When it comes to succession, self-confidence is a tremendous asset, a correlation that affects how business families should engage the next generation. Yonkers' outlook pushes for the assignment of roles within the organization or otherwise based on interest rather than obligation or expectation. To Chris, success is the alignment of purpose and place. We spoke to him about vision, communication, and productivity for both organizations and individuals. Enjoy this episode with Chris. Chris, we have to start with the question, like, you know, and exactly the question that I asked you before is like, why would you focus so much on a such problematic topic like succession? Like, you know, it yeah. doesn't seem like a choice that anyone would make voluntarily. It is probably one of the most difficult topics to tackle in the family business context, right? Like, so tell us why you're passionate about it. So a few things. One is I started doing executive coaching 10, 15 years ago, and I have a business background. And basically what ended up happening was I was coaching a, a financial advisor and we were working together pretty intimately. And he had this case of this client who's family-owned business and they were stuck. And then he had actually had couples specific. And he kind of bubbled them up to me and he asked me for some input. And I gave him some input on what I thought would make sense. And he applied some of the strategies. And then he's like, hey, would you be willing to come back in and meet with these folks? And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? And he's like, they're stuck. And I'm like, okay. And he was able to see that I could help them. And I wasn't really clear because I didn't really have any experience working with uh, folks in a, in a family in that scenario. And regardless, when I sat down with them, I was clearly able to see where their challenges were. And what had kind of happened was obviously they brought their dysfunction and their family dysfunction to their business. And then it was affecting their transition and they're stuck in this transition. And it was really, um, it was really bizarre, right? So anyway, uh, it went really well. Uh, we were able to unlock where they're stuck. And then it led to another one, led to another one. And as I meet, I meet with um, attorneys, financial advisors, business evaluation folks. And the interesting thing is, is a lot of people don't like to work with the issues with the families. And mm. it's not that they don't like the families or love the families, but they don't like, I'll call it the drama or the context of the issues that they're in. And they want to, they just kind of like want to get through whatever the transition is and like put that shit in a closet and I don't want to talk about it. And I don't want to deal mm. with it. And I'm like, well, what's the problem? Like, what's the fear? What's the concern? Because if, if my perspective is if someone's willing to work on something and they're willing to use the situation to evolve themselves and the family, then quite frankly, everyone could end up on the other side in a better situation than when they started. 
Mm. And I think a lot of folks don't necessarily look at it that way. But um, that's been my experience. And the folks that uh, we typically work with, they care about the, each person involved with the transition. They care about the business. They care about the employees. They care about the customers. And they care about their legacy. So if I can check the box on all those things, and the person's willing to change, they're willing to grow, they're uh, forward-directed, then that typically is a good client for us. And that's kind of where, you know, where, where we camp out. If someone you know, is, can't click on the box and those things where you know, they just they want to use the situation to further manipulate their family members, or you know, which there is some of that. I mean, it does happen. Um, then you know, it's, um, it doesn't, doesn't really work all that well. Well, it's super important, the aspect that you bring up, of course, about like the willingness to even resolve such an issue, right? Like, so it's really frequent, like, you know, we know as family businesses, and I get to talk as one of them as well, like, you know, it's a little, it gets messy, it gets messy quicker than you think. And even though you think like, you know, you you tend to start thinking your family is crazier than everybody else's. And then, uh, (laughs) which uh, it's always good to, the good thing about our content is that it puts some relativity spin on that because everyone's family is crazy. So that's great. But I think for me, it would be interesting to understand. So you then went on to like do this on a regular basis. So like, you know, you really, you help families uh, navigate this, this family succession issue. But like, before we come to like, you know, what makes your solution and like your approach may be quite like successful and special and how you've managed to find a methodology that works. It's still like, it feels like a lot of families like, you know, will probably be reluctant to go out and and or even confront the fact that they have a succession problem right like so this is even the step before to even acknowledge that there's a problem there like you know we actually are having a communication issue where do you feel the reluctance lies more as a trend like is it in the incumbent generation or is it the next generation like who approaches you more often to say like look we recognize that there's an issue we need help Right. right where do you see that kind of like you know insight coming from more it's kind of a mixed bag, quite frankly. I can probably argue either side. Usually, I would say probably 60% of the time is the younger generation. Because you got to take your personal stuff and you got to get it on the table if you really want to truly break the bottleneck. You have to address the real issues. And that can be uncomfortable because you're airing out all your stuff. So I have another macro question for you, though, like in terms of like, you know, we're talking of a rapidly changing context for business today, right? Like, and and all of these things seem to affect also the family business model, of course, like, you know, we used to talk about, you know, succession from generation to generation. Now, with like technology picking up at the speed that it does, like, and, and the landscape changing as quickly as it does, should we be talking about succession at a more micro level? Should we be thinking about it even faster than before? Because there's such a rapid pace of change. I mean, do you feel like these external factors influence the way that we define problems in succession? Or do you think these are like age-old issues, age-old conflicts that will always remain the same type? And I think it's probably a bit mixed. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely times are changing faster, right? I mean, even today, business strategy needs to pivot quicker than it has in the past. Mm-hmm. The business that, that did X, Y, and Z for the last 20 years may have to do a little bit of ABC, but I mean without giving up who they are, right? But I also, on the other side of that, I don't believe that it's good to be reactionary. Mm-hmm. If I'm reacting, then that means there's some element of loss of control and I've got to de- deflect something. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather come from a place of like, you know, intention and let's, let's be, instead of defensive about the situation, let's be as offensive as possible in relationship to what we're trying to accomplish. 
Mm. And sometimes what that means is, is that, you know, the next gen that's coming in, you got to realize that they're going to have a different strength set, different strength profile. They're going to have a, they're a different person with different interests. In some some cases, some different values, but we need to leverage their strengths and then build the scaffolding around those folks with the right team. And the team that augmented the founder or the second gen, third gen or whatever it might be, that team around that person is not going to be necessarily the best team for the next person as Mm -hmm. time goes on. So there's there's a bit of transition that happens there. But also you're asking as as an element of strategy, right? Like what needs to happen strategically to ensure that we get to our best outcome. And, you know, and, and those are the things that my team will address because we, we want to look at strategy and we want to look at operations and we want to look at process and as part of the approach. It's not just about who gets what and now we're done. It's not just about, a, you know, a transaction, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's about a process of evolution to ensure the trajectory of, of a business so there's a greater betterment for everyone involved. I mean, one of the most important and I think one of the most difficult probably emotions to navigate within the succession framework is obviously the feeling of the older generation to become like, you know, sort of obsolete. And at the same time of maybe the younger generation seeming to come across or sometimes truly trying for a power grab. And this is usually, I'm guessing, like also the moments where you and your team come in, as you said, like you wish it were more preventive, but I'm guessing you're being called in very often when like, you know, the difficulty has arisen. So... (laughs) So let's talk more about your approach as to like how you deal with all those like, you know, like those high emotions when you walk into these kind of situations and how do you bring everyone down around the table open and open up towards like, you know, finding a constructive solution? I always start with, um, granted, when someone call, reaches out to us, it's usually someone in the family and then we get together with the family, right? It's the first meetings, everyone together. But right after that, the next thing I want to accomplish is I want to have one-on-one conversations with every family member, right? To assess the situation, what's going on, and also see if I can help them really, or our team can, because, you know, I can only help someone to the willing that they want to help themselves, right? It is what it is. So we're, we're looking to gauge that. But as we're, we're assessing that, I want to get clear on what person the person's values are and what their vision is, what they really, truly want. And their vision, you know, I'm looking also, I'm asking myself, is it, Where's the motivation behind the vision? Mm. Is it intrinsic? Is it extrinsic? Is it because I, I want to take my family's business because I want my dad's lifestyle? And, <laughs> you know, I want to, I want to, you know, there's a lot of his extrinsic motivation that the ego's tied up in. Or is it because I, you know, this is something I truly want, right? Just because I'm in a family doesn't mean that I'm, pre- you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. Right, the shoe cobbler son, well, then I'm going to be, you know, this is what I'm going to do, right? Or, you know, that in society, maybe in the past, there might have been some of that, right? My dad makes candlesticks, so I'm going to make candlesticks, right? So, you know, and I'll ask people like, hey, if if your parents didn't own this business, would you even do this? Like, why are you interested in it? And I'll ask those questions. What I'm looking to do is build a high level of trust with each individual, but also get clarity where they want to go and where they think they're stuck in the scenario and what they're doing about it then my goal is, is to get everyone aligned around this idea. If we do what's best for the family and the business collectively, then I have to believe that that's what's going to be best for me. Because mm-hmm. if I don't, if I can't come from that from my mindset frame, then I'm going to have trouble. This is not going to work very well for me because now it's about me and you and how you're screwing me or whatever it mm-hmm. is, whatever story I have, or I'm not getting what I want or my brother, why are they getting X? you know, on and on and on. And each person has to realize like, hey, 
you've been blessed to be a part of a family business. You have opportunity here. A lot of other people would love to have the same opportunity. It's a very interesting thing that you bring forward here in terms of like, you know, how our societies have evolved as well, right? Like, so presumably you've been active more in Western countries, et cetera, but I know you also have extensive knowledge of, of Eastern philosophies and approaches, et cetera. But I think when we talk about, you know, that sense of a sacrifice, I'm putting this between like, you know, yeah. like a, um, but that sense of sacrifice and maybe like that striving for the greater good, right? Like, because right. it is true, like, you know, when you're part of a family business, like there are very many, I would say like 80% of the time, you know, you, you got to take it for the team, right? Like you got to put your ego to the side and you got to be like, okay, well, you know, I might not like this particularly, but right. like it's, it's the right thing to do for the collective. Do right. you feel that as a society, especially in Western societies, do you feel like, you know, we are less capable of doing this now than we were maybe like, you know, 50 or 100 years ago? Do you feel like there's an actual evolution towards that individualism that we're always talking about? And is that making it harder for us to be in family businesses? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's probably a degree of that, right? That we we run into with families. And I can totally see what, what specifically it is that, that you're seeing in relationship to, I mean, just look at the context of when people age. Mm. In Western society now, it's like, well, someone's getting old. We need, they're become a burden to the family. We got to put them away somewhere. And hopefully it won't impede our livelihoods. Mm. But in other countries, as you know, as you get older, like there's a higher level of respect. And today, even like with kids and stuff, it's like the level of respect they have for their elders is not the same as it mm. was. I'm not speaking out of my personal experience. I'm just speaking out of what I see and I witness. I mean, the books actually end up being part of the family and they live together collectively. And so there's that family unit. And right, so how you look at family how you build values around family is one of the key elements to, to this whole path, right? And then how, who am I? I think it's really important um, that the individual size of it, I think, is, is good because each person should navigate against their own truth of what they really want in their heart, not necessarily what they think. The challenge for most people when they navigate is, is that they tend to make decisions based upon concern about other people think first. There's a study that was published um, many years ago by a lady that was a hospice nurse, right? She was interviewing people and asking, like, what is it that people uh, regret when they're, they're you know, on their deathbed? And one of the top regrets was, is that I wish I had done and made decisions based upon what I wanted and was aligned with my truth, not what I thought other people wanted for me. Mm-hmm. And you see a bit of that in family, especially when, the, you know, the younger generations, because, like, maybe they don't want to let their dad down, let their mom down, let their brother down. You get a bit of that. And I respect that. I think that's, that's cool. But it's not cool if you're giving up what you want. Mm-hmm. And but that's good for the business too, right? Like that's what people underestimate. Like, you know, whatever is good for like happy family members make for a happy family, usually make for a better business uh, as well. And and of course, like, you know, it is our responsibility as as business families also to recognize that it's not just our family that's concerned by succession, but it's the families of everyone working for us in the business. So I'd love to just like touch upon that as well, because it seems that, you know, when we're in this succession potential conflict moment of succession of course it's not always it's not uh, it's not always a conflict but when we are it seems like everything seems to be revolving around these sensibilities of like you know who gets what who is offended by what etc and stuff like that right like but really you hinted at this a little bit earlier like you know the business can truly truly suffer and i think like a lot of families probably need to hear this again it's like what ways what things have you seen happen to businesses as a consequence of mismanaged succession like you know 
concrete yeah. examples where you're like, okay, we actually saw this basically on the bottom line that, yeah. you know, it was affected. I mean, you put people in the wrong seats is one of them, right? Someone gets into a seat because they want that seat and now they're, they're operating a department and then they're not, you know, costs get mismanaged. I mean, it's basically got someone who's not really in the right place at all, right? It's mm -hmm. like having a pitcher in left field. Like, you know, it's like, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. Like, it just, yeah, but that, you know, he, he wanted to be in left field. We have these socks. Um, well, they know, hey, he wanted it. So then what ends up happening too, and you got a family dynamic, is everybody who works in the company knows the family. They know the dynamic, they know what's going on, and they're working around these problems and no one's addressing them. And that, you know, part, so when we work on organizational health, we work to get vulnerability on the table, Patrick Mencioni mm -hmm. talks about. But the essence is, is that people work around this stuff. They don't realize that they're working. People at the helm don't even realize the degree. So they're investing time and money for their employees to work around problems. Um, we had a situation with Gen 2, son, real issues with uh, in regards to the family was mom and dad had always swooped in, saved him, swooped in, saved him, swooped in, saved him. Now he's in the business making, creating issues. And then they're, they're not necessarily able to swoop in and save him at times. And this costs the company money, yeah. not being held accountable. Um, and then it creates a massive amount of bitterness. So you look at what is it, what's it cost me to have an organization that the, the health of my organization is severely impacted because I got everyone operating around the dysfunction of my freaking family. Mm. And it translates all over the place, more than people realize. And then also you're like, wow, you know, do I really want to work here? And then you can lose key people because of that shit too. So then that's, that's another cost factor because I'm, I'm re, I'm, I can't retain my top talent because they're leaving because we're operating with blinders on or no one wants to address the real issues. Another almost dirty word, I think, that people don't dare really tackle when it comes to family business and that I think has a lot to do with the succession, but like you, you'll tell me what you think, uh, what you agree with me, is the word power, right? Like, so I think power is something that like we tend to not really talk about in family businesses because it's, it's seen as something really, really negative. But then the fact of the matter is a lot of the conflict comes from the fact that there's a, you know, there's a power grab or there's a, there's a reluctance of releasing power. Maybe power is, is too, too forceful a word. Maybe we could talk about authority or like, you know, something a little bit more constructive, but essentially I feel like it comes down to that basic human need of feeling like, you know, I have a, I have a say over a certain domain and I have people right. looking to me and stuff like that. So that's a massive ego issue, right? Like, and you were just talking about like, you know, how like you go in and yes, you talk to people individually, but then you know, when you're in a family business, this sometimes really truly seems like something that is an inherent part of someone's character. Like it is truly very, very hard to claim, I would say, that that's always something that can be solved. Now, when that impasse is reached, right, like when you really come to that point where, say, like, you know, the rest of the family sort of aligns, but there's that one person who just, you know, who just who just won't budge. Like, what do you do? That's an interesting question. And it does happen, right? I mean, you got to make some tough decisions. And there was a recent project we finished up this summer where, you know, the dad basically like, hey, we, we came up, we ironed out, like, what are the details of how we wanted to manage the transition? And, you know, they brought an attorney in to, to, to get it all, all, all finite. But the fact of the matter is, is that he basically, we gave his son a chance. He wasn't willing to put his ego aside. So he's not right now. He's not in the succession. Now, later on, he can enter back in, but he won't get the same level of ownership that his brother got. But his dad had to realize that 
if you wanted this to work, you're going to have to make some hard decisions about your kids that you haven't been willing to make. Mm. And otherwise, everyone suffers. The last question that I have for you, because we do like to end these conversations also on like, you know, how things can be prevented, right? Like, so ideally, people never have to call you, Chris, I'm sorry. Like, you know, it's yeah. like, ideally, you're not needed anymore in an ideal world. Right. But like, I think right. that sort of like feeds into your other expertise, which is obviously like, you know, everything that you teach people about leadership. And yeah. I think so I would love for you to describe to us like, you know, today, if I'm listening to this uh, podcast, or I'm reading this article, as a family business leader, I think the question arises for me, like, you know, what kind of a leader can I be? What kind of leadership can I implement here that sort of prevents me facing these kinds of issues in the succession moment or in succession planning? Like, you know, do you feel like there's certain things you can consciously do as a leader, you know, that maybe not directly address the succession issue, but in your style of leadership that can sort of like lead to a more successful transition when the time comes? Look at the impact. You know, if you pick each person, what's the impact around that person, mm-hmm. right? And look at, you know, like, okay, I got to look at my organization, I look at my team, I look at the leaders, I look at my customers. I want to get outside of, if I'm in the family, who's being impacted and why? And why does this business exist? What's the legacy behind this? Like, if we disappear tomorrow, what would be missed in the marketplace, right? What, what's unique about that? That's good to understand. And with the people that are involved that work for me, as far as leadership perspective, I think that if you really want to look at what's the true model of engagement, because when you have someone working for you, you want them to be fulfilled. You want to look forward to going to work. And I've been studying, like, what is it? what drives fulfillment? What drives engagement, right? And I think it's, I'll give a quick list here. One, it, t- it takes some, it, it takes uh, identification of who, what someone's strengths are. Mm-hmm. And then you're applying those strengths to the role. You're developing, the, you're investing in them and developing those strengths, right? Strengths don't just come in already naturally developed. You're also, uh, that person's part of a team, a team that's healthy, that has conflict, that has accountability, that has vulnerability, you know, that's not pushing artificial harmony. So you've got those, those elements so that they feel like they're part of something. And then on top of that, not only do they feel like part of a team, they understand and they value, they align their values to what the company's about, mm-hmm. right? The core values of a business always comes in from the founder. So we'll look, we're understanding what that is and we're applying our own personal values to what that is. Mm-hmm. And then also I have, a, and then the, I think the other thing that I got to understand is that the people who work for me, I want to get clear on what they want. Yeah. Like what's the last time you got together with someone, asked them, what are they trying to do in their life for the next three years? Where do yeah. they want to go? And can you help them get there by working for you? Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of interesting, right? Do you care enough about them to know that? And if you do, can you apply those elements? And the last piece is, do they understand what specifically it is that they, the company does that makes the world a better place. Mm-hmm. What is it that about what we do that actually adds value to other people's lives? Because now I can connect all this, not only with what's for me, but also what's you know the ripple effect of what it is that we're doing. And I think if you can look at the leadership side of how do I keep people engaged and fulfilled and working for me from a perspective of what's best for them and help them get to where they wanna go, they're gonna show up in a whole different, whole different world. Chris Yonker, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes. 